Monday's coming. Monday is when reality hits. Monday is when Sunday is tested. Monday is when faith has to work. What we are doing inside these walls allow us to handle, prosper, and not just survive, but thrive all week long. What are you doing inside these walls? Amen. God's called us to thrive. Are you excited about that? I don't want to just be a survivor. I want to be a thriver. Hallelujah. What an awesome God we serve. There you go. So a priest was invited to attend a house party. And naturally, he was properly dressed, wearing his priest collar. And the little boy kept staring at him the entire evening. And finally, the priest asked the little boy what he was staring at. The little boy pointed to the priest's neck. When the priest finally realized what the boy was pointing at, he asked him, Do you know why I'm wearing that? The boy nodded his head yes and said, It kills fleas and ticks for up to three months. I just found this out. Uh, How does the man in the moon cut his hair? Eclipse it. (laughs) Uh, Rodney enjoyed that. Live wires. Let's hear for our children as they leave today. Age six to sixth grade. Yeah. Love our kids around here. God's doing a great work in them, using an incredible team. Tim and Kelly and their team are just doing an amazing job in our children. Amen. So good to see you this morning. Good to be in God's house. And uh, I want to thank you for praying for my dad. Uh, I forgot to give you an update the next week, and he's been good. It was a one-day deal, and uh, yeah, I apologize for, although he's needed the prayer. Uh, <laughs> my dad always, I say, Dad, I'm praying for you. He says, well, I need the prayer, and you need the practice, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true, but uh, he's doing well today. Thank you for your prayers. Kenneth Square, uh, nothing like being on national news for uh, sewing needles and candy bars. Come on. And then find out this week that it was a hoax. It was all staged by the kids. You know, it just shows me once again, inside these walls really matters. What you do in your home, how you lead, how you establish things, how you raise and, and pour into the next generation makes a huge difference. And God's called us. um, He's called us to be incredible people. And if this is your first time here, we just want to say thank you for coming. We're glad you've come. We've been looking at at our homes. And Elijah started us off with the living room, uh, talking about us being culture creators. And he encouraged us to guard and create the culture, the atmosphere of our homes. And I would say today, don't allow strife to enter in to your home. For where there's strife, there's every evil work, the Bible says. Don't underestimate the destructive power of strife. Proverbs 17.1 says, Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. I mean, I'm not real thrilled about a dry crust, right? But if there's peace and quiet there, come on, you can, you can have a feast. But when strife enters the home, you know, it, it's an atmosphere. And uh, God has called us to create and establish and protect and guard the atmosphere. You know, it's, it's a given that music creates an atmosphere. Some of us, uh, as we head to work every day, we, we flip on tunes or 
will flip on talk radio. And by the time you get to where you're going, you are filled with such angst and anger, and you're like, I just want to talk to somebody real loud right now. And you're wondering, what happened to me? It's the atmosphere you're creating. And so, you know, uh, television in the same way can be an atmosphere creator. It can bring complete strangers and strange ideas into your home. Did you know that? Make sure you aren't introducing strife into your environment through so-called entertainment. Um, murder, adultery, rebellion are not the kind of entertainment you need to have in your home. Let me just say you would never invite your neighbors to come into your home to cuss, fight, share their intimate details, or be intimate in front of you. You just wouldn't do it. But somehow we think the tube is okay. That, that flat screen, it's fine, whatever comes in. And sometimes we just let it play all day long. Uh, I, was, I was reminded of this. Uh, we we uh, hang out with our grandkids quite a bit. And the other night, Zion was over at our house. And you got to know Zion's a very sensitive young man. But one of the things Christy and I do when we're by ourselves and we're home is we watch the national news at night. And so right around 6.30, we turn it on, and, and Zion's like, can we watch a movie? I want to watch, watch Rescuers. Because, see, Christy and I have this library of VHS tapes. <laughs> How many remember VHS? I mean... You got to have like a, a huge container to hold them. And, and we do. We have that. And, and Zion loves to pick different movies out all the time. He and London, they just love that. But I said, we're going to watch the news first. Well, after every story, Zion's like, why? why? Why is that happening? Why did they do that? Why are they killing those people? And I'm thinking, it, it's, I'm numb. And here this child is looking and, and, and recognizing the atmosphere that the national news is bringing. And then don't even turn on Philadelphia news. It's like, yikes. And, and so there, it's time sometimes to turn it off. Amen. And, and realize that we're inviting things into our home that don't need to be there. But speaking of, of culture, I don't know, maybe you've heard Playboy magazine has decided to end printing the pictures of fully naked women. James Emery Wright writes, writes this. He says, so as many have been joking, if you really did read it just for the articles, you're in luck. And it's hard for younger generations to realize the cultural weight Playboy threw around in its heyday. During the 1970s, it was estimated that one out of every four college males was reading it. The magazine's circulation began to drop off in the early 90s from a record 7.2 million in 1972 to just 800,000 today. And yet, James goes on and he says, the greater cultural headline is why they will no longer feature nudity. Here's the answer. The rise of internet pornography. Playboy's chief executive told the New York Times, you're now just one click away from every sex act imaginable for free. It's just passe at this juncture. And so, as... Playboy helped create a sexualized world, it dug its own grave because sin's appetite is never satisfied. Sin's appetite is never fully and finally satisfied. And, and here we are in this, this culture, and unfortunately, it dug a grave for much more than itself. Today, we have mobile devices, computers, 
in every imaginable way of, of streaming this kind of atmosphere into our lives. Can I just say, church, dad, mom, young person, it's time to turn it off. It's time to guard your heart. It's time to guard the culture of what happens in your home. You need to know what's going on with your kids' smartphones. When we were raising our children, it was the computer, and we had to put guards in place. And now you just take it with you everywhere you go. Don't be naive. The writer of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. You live from the heart, you love from the heart, and you lead from the heart. And so we've got to pay attention to our heart. It's time to guard everything in us needs to be godly. Guard your home, mom and dad. Create the culture. We're called to, we're lived to call, we are, we are, to, sorry. We're to live called, not just saved. I haven't preached for like four weeks and I, <laughs> as a parent, you're called to create a godly and safe culture in your home. As you sit down, as you rise up, as you walk along the way, as you talk, you model what a godliness looks like, what it sounds like, what it looks like to be a godly man, a godly woman. You, my friends, are called, not just saved. Don't just live saved and hope that someone else will pour into your kids or hope that your family gets it. Fulfill your calling. And then Isaiah took us into the kitchen and talked about honorable communication. Don't let your chit-chat become spit-chat. Like that. Use your words to build up and create. Your words are shaping forces. Use them well. Amen? Charles Spurgeon said, carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Do something significant that will shape the next generation for the Lord. We talked about honor up, honor down, honor all around. And uh, Isaiah had, had the privilege of, of honoring all of us, and I just really appreciated that moment that he talked about uh, some of us. And yet, I want to take this moment just to honor Isaiah. Because I've had a front row seat in watching this loudmouth little boy with so much energy that we could hardly contain him. And I'll be honest with you, he was a challenge. Some days he still is. But God has done a work in Isaiah's life and he has had an incredible growth. He's become a man of God, man of honor. He's a great husband. At least that's what I hear from Brittany <laughs> and what I see. He's become a great father. He's a good friend. Some of you know that. You know it well. Isaiah has become a great counselor. And as he always has been, he has a servant's heart, and he will lay down what he's doing to bless you if he has it within his power. And I'm just, I'm privileged to serve alongside of him, and I just want to honor you today. Isaiah is our connections pastor. What a blessing you are. It's interesting, uh, as I see our children have children, that I see a complete reflection of who they are in their kids. It's very interesting. Watch out for London <laughs> and Roman. Um, amen.
honor. Use your words. And then Tori took us to the bathroom. Now, wait a minute. That, that didn't sound good at all. Tori invited us into her bathroom. That didn't sound good either. Uh, she opened the door and let us look in. How about that? Mirror, mirror on the wall. I am who God says I am after all. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we wonder, really? And people try to, the enemy uses people's words to try to destroy us, bring us down to a lower level of living. And yet God reminds us, look at the mirror of the word. That's who you really are. And and that was such a a powerful day as she shared from her heart. Um, I won't buy the lies of the enemy. I'm not going to listen to him any longer. What God says about me is true. Amen? I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I'm a child of the living God. And she was so real and vulnerable and, and just opened her life up. And I praise God for how he has spoken through each one of these. And then last Sunday, Landon took us to the basement. Wow. Hidden areas. Ain't no shame in his name. Amen. No shame. What you've done doesn't have to define you. I love what he said, only a fool trips on what's behind him. He said, you can't change your past, but you can make a change in your present to predict your future. You can't change the past. All you can do is give it to Jesus and let him wipe it clean and then keep walking forward. Make a change now so your future can be brighter. Hallelujah. Tom Hughes says, baggage is every person's story. However, with God, baggage does not have to be the end of the story. He said, a while back, a friend introduced me to the Japanese art art form called kintsuji. Roughly translated, it means the art of golden repair. When pottery breaks, instead of discarding it, an artisan repairs it with gold, thereby not only restoring it to its original value, but actually increasing its value. The repair is not hidden, it's highlighted. Isn't that how God works in us? He takes those broken pieces, he heals us, while also using our baggage for something greater. He lovingly takes our weakest and most, most painful places and uses them to show how his grace and strength are sufficient for us. Hallelujah. What an awesome God. Been reading Brian Houston's book, Live, Love, Lead. And he says in there, sin leads to guilt. Guilt leads to shame. And ultimately, shame leads to condemnation. And condemnation leads to death. If a building is condemned, that means it's unfit for use. It's disqualified. That's, and that's how a lot of people live their lives. They live feeling condemned, unfit when it comes to serving God. Perhaps even when it comes to being in the house of God, when it comes to worship. I'm just, I'm unfit. I'm not able to be used. And Really, when it comes to God's grace, you can't be unfit. Everybody's a candidate. The Bible says for All have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that are there. And so God, by His grace, lifts us up. Sometimes we feel unworthy, unforgivable, even unlovable, unable to be used by God. But it's not true. It's nothing more than the devil's lies. Have you noticed a pattern through all of this? The enemy loves to lie to you. You notice that? In fact, Jesus said when he lies, he speaks his native language. That's all he knows. The devil is a liar. Sin, guilt, shame, condemnation, they're all toxic. And uh, sin is something you do. Guilt is something you feel. Shame is something you carry. And eventually the weight of shame overtakes you and then condemnation kicks in. Condemnation would have you believe that just like a condemned building, you too are unfit for use. And that's not the will of God for you at all. 
Hallelujah. He picks us up. He, he highlights our weaknesses. He can take away our sin, our guilt, our shame, our condemnation, death, and give us life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He didn't come to condemn us. There's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction says you're doing something wrong. It's time to change. Condemnation says you'll never be good enough. You can't. Stay down. You're not worth it. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. Glory. Oh, hallelujah. You're not unforgivable. You're not unworthy. You're not unlovable. You're not unusable. You're not condemned. It's what you've been through that makes you so valuable after the master creator, Jesus Christ, has put you back together again. It's what you've been through that makes you so valuable. Your value has increased. It's been bought with a huge price. The repair is not hidden. It's highlighted. <laughs> Landon reminded us, plug into God's power source. Get that power going through you and then get, get somebody else plugged in. Come on. Use that power he's given you to plug into someone else. Give them what they need. Don't be selfish with what God's blessed you with. We're not selfish around here. We're a generous church. God's called us to be generous in our homes. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You get plugged into God, and then you take that power and you plug into somebody else. Because God, how God has healed you, He wants to heal somebody else. How God has ministered to you, how He's, he's touching those deep, broken areas of your life, He wants to use you. Bring that same comfort to somebody else, someone in need. Glory. So today, I got the bedroom. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Looks comfy, doesn't it? Bedroom. It's a private place. It's a place of rest, of restoration relaxation, rejuvenation, and a place of romance. <laughs> Christy likes to watch a lot of home improvement shows. <laughs> She's always wanting to change something. But I don't know if you've noticed, if, if you ever watch any of those shows, they always make the bedroom a retreat. It's like you just want to go and live in there and just relax and, and enjoy, get away from it all. In the bedroom, it, it's, it's one of the greatest places that God has given us. It's a place of intimacy a place of insight. Your bedroom says who you really are behind closed doors. And you don't invite just anyone into your bedroom. Amen? Intimacy. It's the only way to, to reproduce. It's the only way to be fruitful. I heard a preacher say one time, the bride controls the level of intimacy. And I thought about that, and it reminded me that we as the bride of Christ control the level of intimacy we have with Jesus. I mean, really, you can have as much of Jesus as you want. You can receive all of him or just portions. Portions. 
And Jesus has so much for us. I don't know about you, but I, I want everything he has. It's up to me, though. And you can't be fruitful by yourself. Even in the kingdom of God. You can't be fruitful alone in business, in relationships, in ministry. There's a reason why we need to hang out together. Because we can be fruitful together. And God wants to do amazing things in this church. He wants to take us to new levels. He wants to take us to places we've never been before. And I believe he's preparing us for that. He's making us ready. And I want to be as ready as I've ever been. The bedroom, it's the place that romance blossoms. But if you're married, you know romance doesn't begin in the bedroom. Romance begins sometimes in the kitchen. You got that, that dirty dish and you take it to the sink, you rinse it out and you get ready to put it in the dishwasher. You open it up, the little flap pops down, you realize everything in there is clean. What do you do with that? As a man, come on. You put it back in the sink. <laughs> but you know what happens when you do things? You start creating romance. So you start to unload it. And your wife walks in and she's like, That's the sweetest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> or you, you're taking care of your kids. or it just Romance doesn't begin in the bedroom. It begins all day long. Like when I actually make Christy a, a cup of coffee. I don't drink the stuff myself. She loves it. She's got all her little foo-foo things that have to go in it and got to be this kind with this creamer and this creamer and a little bit of sugar and that. And uh, that, that's how life happens. In fact, uh, that, that's pure love. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul writing to the Ephesian church, he said, Husbands, love your wives just as. Somebody say just as. There's a big, big deal here. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did he do that? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. I read somewhere, God never loved Israel because of how she looked in the mirror or her impressive resume. God's bride blossoms after the wedding day and becomes more beautiful and splendid over time, not because she worked out or aged gracefully, but because God loved her into radiance. And he says we're called to do the same. If a man views the wedding day as the height of his bride's beauty, then he'll never love like Jesus. He'll constantly be comparing what was rather than anticipating his role in what could be. For Jesus, the wedding day was simply the start of a lifelong extreme makeover designed to advance his bride to royalty. And I say, Lord, give us your perspective. Help me to see my role in advancing my bride to royalty. God used me to present a radiant church, to present my wife in a radiant way without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. You see, when we love someone based on their performance, what they say, how they act, 
how they look, eventually they'll let you down, right? Because none of us are perfect. If you're honest, you look, you know, you long to be respected for and loved because of who you are, not what you do or how you look. Trust me, as you get older, the mirror will become far more revealing than appealing. <laughs> Anybody over 50 out there? Come on. Performance-driven relationships are exhausting. When we love based on obligation, eventually marriage transforms into a cold union, duty without a sense of glory. It always leads to drudgery. Drudgery always leads to death. It may not be the death of a marriage, but many marriages experience the death of intimacy. They married a soulmate, but they ended up with a roommate. Nobody wants that. Intimacy dies when we don't do things God's way. I just read that this, this week. Your marriage will be as good as you decide it will be. So I, you don't understand my situation. Well, you can make a decision and change things. Because your marriage will be as good as you decide it will be. Sometimes we're one strong, bold decision away from greatness. Don't stay in that non-great zone. Let God prompt you and push you to the next level. The writer of Hebrews, in talking about marriage relationships, says this. Marriage should be honored by all. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. It's a big deal to God. Marriage is a big deal. Sex is a big deal to God. Did you know that? How many knew that God created that? God created sex. Can I get an amen? amen. Come on. And he knows best how it works. Eight-year-old Susie came home from school, informed her mother that Today in class, they'd learned how to make babies. The mother, rather shaken by the development, called the teacher to complain. After listening to the mother complain for a few minutes, the teacher said, did you ask her to explain how it's done? <laughs> mother said, no. She said, ask her, call me back. So she goes to her daughter and she says, so how do you make babies? Susie responded, you drop the Y and you add I-E-S, I-E-S. You drop the Y and you add I-E-S. Babies. Okay. Why is sex such a big deal to God? Because God knows the consequences of a fire outside of proper boundaries. I mean, you know the fire is fabulous in the right setting, in proper boundaries. And yet, if the fire jumps outside of those boundaries, inside the boundaries, it can heat your home. You can warm up by the fire. You can cook food. It's a blessing. It's an incredible blessing. But once it jumps outside of the boundaries, it's very dangerous. It can destroy. And in fact, we watch on the news. If you watch the national news, <laughs> Coogie, why is the whole world burning? <laughs> right? And you see the, the wildfires, the destruction that it, it brings. And, and God, in creating sex, he said it, it works here within these boundaries. In today's culture, people tend to have relationship after relationship. They date around. They engage in casual hookups. Rather than honoring God with their bodies, they see sex as inconsequential. 
what they don't understand is that God created sex and he, so that two could become one. And he created it to be consequential. God gave us intimacy because it's part of the process by which we become one with another person. And sex creates this powerful bond between two people. When you, when you have a sexual relationship with someone, it's like Gorilla Glue. Anybody ever use Gorilla Glue? You know what I'm talking about. When you sever that relationship, it's never a clean break. Part of that person comes with you. Part of you goes away with them. It hurts. It's painful. And I don't have to tell you that because some of you have experienced that. Many of you, you know what I'm talking about. And, and yet, somehow in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, if I could just find the right person. And God says, look, here's, here's how I designed this. One man, one woman, together for life. He said, that's how it works best. And you find that in the bedroom, when you do things God's way, there's such blessing. But that's why sex is so damaging before marriage and outside of marriage. God knows that. His plan was one man, one woman in a covenant marriage relationship for life, period. He created sex. He knows best how everything works. And he wants the best for you. He's not a cosmic killjoy. Turn to your neighbor and just say, God loves you. He wants the best for you. And when we do things God's way, we always win. Amen? And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, who lived in a sex-crazed culture like we do, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And let me just say, that's not an all-inclusive list. There's a whole bunch more going on. And yet he says, look, if you do these things, if you're living like this, you're not going to inherit God's kingdom. And he goes on in verse 11, and this is my favorite part. Some of you once were like that. Some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that. And if we peeled back the, the, the layers of our life here in this place today, we'd all go, oh, really? You too? Really? You? Some of you once were like that. But, but, you were cleansed. Come on. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You once were like that, but, but God has changed you. You've called on Jesus. He's cleansed you. He's purified you. He's set you apart as his own. That's good news. I mean, you got to get excited about that. Because, you know, even though I was a mess, God's changed me. I don't live in that anymore. I'm not even going to hide it in the basement. Come on. I'm going to let what God has done in me be a ministry to somebody else. He goes on and he says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Right? I'm allowed to eat chocolate. But if I'm looking at, at Halloween candy on my deal, I can't eat it all at once. Right? I'm allowed to eat bread once in a while. 
okay? I love bread. But I can't snarf it down and just fill my body with all bread. He says, you got to realize, even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave of anything. You say food was made for the stomach, the stomach for food. That's true, though. Someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. That's sex outside of marriage, period. You can't say that. You can't say that. They were made for the Lord. Our bodies are made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that our bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! Are you kidding me? And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? Gorilla glue. The scripture says the two are united into one. The person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so the Apostle Paul uses one word. Run! Don't hang out there. Get away. Get out. Turn around and run. I mean, nah, it's not that bad. I'm just going to hang out for a little bit. The atmosphere is kind of fun here. We're going to do a little thing. You know, it's, it's all good. I feel good right now. Get out. Run. Realize the serious, the consequences. And he goes on and talks about those. He says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. So, Pastor, this is, this is hard, man. This is, this is really hard because you don't have any idea. I may not, but God knows best. You ever, how many have a hair dryer? And on your hair dryer, there's this big old white tag. And you know what it says? Don't use it in the shower. <laughs> right? And you're thinking to yourself, hey, I could save some time here. I'm just going to dry my hair while I'm taking a shower. <laughs> you go. You ignore the warning to your own peril. It's got this guy in the bathtub, and it's like, don't put the thing in the bathtub. And yet you're thinking, hey, it can't be that bad, right? And somehow we think we're above what God says. We're above the manufacturer who understands best how the product works. God says, I love you so much. I care about you. I want the best for you. So run and realize how I want to bless you. God bought you with a high price. Honor God with your body. Bottom line is eternity is reality. And the mortality rate, last time I checked, is 100%. We all have an appointment with death. And I, I care about you. 
I really do. And God cares. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He came to bring you up from where you are, bring healing to your life, freedom from, from sin, brokenness. Put you back together so you can be a trophy of his grace and mercy so you can minister to somebody else. The bedroom. It's, it's a place of intimacy. It's also a place of rest, refreshing, rejuvenation, relaxation, and any other R word you can think of. But you know, life and relationships are complicated. Sometimes they come at us, try to steal our rest. Life happens. Spats break out. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 Paul the Apostle writing to the church at Ephesus says this, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Someone said, I really didn't mean to push all your buttons. I was just looking for mute. you know it, it doesn't have to be a big deal I mean, just the other day <laughs> it was so small it's like really are we gonna do really this and yet we had to work some things out you know, just like I do, that a little splinter, if left untreated, will fester and get infected. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Just a little splinter. You, you get it and you're like, that's so small. How can that become so big? And everything you touch, you're like, oh, you're, rem you're reminded of it, right? It's still there. It's still, ah. And it's so small, it shouldn't be a big deal. It's just a little splinter. You got to do everything you can to get it out. You got to get vigilant. You got to go for it. So, Paul reminds us don't let the sun go down while you're still angry so you can get a good night's rest. You need, you need rest, you need to be refreshed in your spirit. Don't give the devil a foothold. Be quick to talk about it. When things rise up, be quick to talk. Be quick to listen. Somebody say listen. Some of us are quick to talk. We're not quick to listen. And, and you just like, really? Just hang on. Listen a bit. Be quick to forgive. You're never more like God than when you forgive. Be quick to forgive. Be quick to resolve whatever issue it is. Fight toward resolution, not toward winning. Amen. Nobody wins when somebody wins. Amen. We're not here to win. We're here to resolve, become better people. Be quick to recognize the enemy's devices. He still loves to divide and conquer. Works hard at it. About a month ago, now it's been, Christy and I were hungry. It was getting evening time, and, and uh, I said, you know what? I just really want pizza and salad. She's like, sounds fabulous. So we ran to grab our, our pizza and salad to bring it home. And by the time we got home, we were gone maybe 30 minutes. Um, we left the back door open because Solomon was out and we took Murphy with us. <laughs> Murphy's a devil child. And so we have to bring him or lock him up when we leave because he just, he's, whatever, he just wants to, yeah. 
And so we took Murphy with us and, and made it home with the pizza and salad and Murphy. <laughs> Opened the door and Sullivan is underneath my desk area and has destroyed my desk area. Underneath my desk, I have all this, the messages I've preached at this church since 2004. I had all kinds of things under there. I had uh, bags and, and uh, what do you call those things? File folders and leather satchels and all that kind of stuff. And it's everywhere. And everything's unplugged from the computer, the wireless internet that's been unplugged. Everything, everything has been torn out. I'm like, Sullivan, what in the world are you doing? Sullivan is our chow. He's about 80 pounds or so, a large dog who leaves his mark everywhere he goes with his hair. He, he just sheds everywhere. And uh, so keeping up with him is, is quite the trick. But he never tears anything up. He doesn't chew anything. He doesn't go to the bathroom in the house. He's the most amazing dog. He's gentle. Unless you try to break in, he will destroy you. And and so here he, he's going crazy and digging at everything in there. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so I grab him. I put him out in the garage and shut the door. And I'm looking under there and I'm like, something's there. It's either a bug. Maybe it's a bunny because Sullivan, he, he has a thing for bunnies. He just doesn't like bunnies. So I get my flashlight out, and I look back to where he's just gone after, and I see two little eyes looking at me. And I said, it's a, it's a little bunny rabbit. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm going to go eat the pizza while it's hot, the salad's cold. <laughs> Let's just have a meal. Sullivan's in the garage. So I sit down at the table facing my area, In about two minutes, I've got a piece of pizza in my mouth. Here comes the largest rat I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not really afraid of things like that because I used to have snakes as a kid. I used to feed them rats, right? And uh, my mom made me get rid of those because she, she's like, if he does that to you, you're... Yeah, you don't. You need fingers. And and we had when we lived in Trinidad, we lived right next to this open sewer. The rats were there all the time. So it's not a. I'm not afraid of rats. I thought. <laughs> so I see this. He was that big, big old fat dude, with a tail like that. I'm like I, in my house. Drat! A rat! <laughs> and so when I see the rat, Christy, I don't remember where she was, but I, I yelled out, It's not a bunny, it's a rat! She's like, ah, ah! She jumps up on the couch and she calls somebody, call Isaiah! So we called Isaiah. She, she said, <laughs> Isaiah, where are you at? He said, I'm in Oxford. I'm picking something up for Orange Square Fest. And she's like, get here right away. He said, I can be there in about five minutes. Said, oh, get here now. Now it's a rat. We got a rat in our house. And so we're frantic. It's like we're freaking out. And Sullivan wants to kill it. And Murphy's like, huh? <laughs> so it, it was... Isaiah shows up, and he's got Roman and London with him. And London, she's like, where's the rat? I want to get it. I want to, I want to look at it. I want to touch it. You know? and, and Roman, he didn't have a clue. He's just there. And so Christy's up on the couch. And the rat has gotten behind, behind the desk in an area that you can't reach. Okay? 
Sullivan knows he's there because Sullivan's going nuts. He's trying to dig that rat out. Finally, we get, we get the desk up on a book. I've got machetes. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. All my trips overseas made a difference. <laughs> so I've got this machete. We're trying to get him out and to get him out to where he can get and catch him, right? And Isaiah's over here. He's down. I'm down. We're, we, I'm stabbing at the thing. We got blood. It's like, are you kidding me? Just get out so we can get you out of the house. It took us an hour and a half to catch that rat. And we never caught it. Finally, it runs out, runs up the container that Isaiah thought he was going to grab it in, runs up Isaiah's leg and his arm and down and runs right past Roman who's on the ground, tries to run outside the, the door, and I've got the door shut because it was cold. So he runs back in the house under the couch that, that London's sitting on, and Chrissy's standing on going, ah, 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 ah. And Roman's like, this is fun. <laughs> it was insane. Finally, I let Sullivan in, and he went to the, underneath the couch. The rat ran out the door. Yeah. And let me tell you what happened. It was freaky, but the outcome was we had very sore bodies the next day. Even Isaiah, who works out all the time, we had a lot of trauma. And I saw who I really am and didn't like it. <laughs> Serious. Had no idea I was afraid of a rat. Bugs me to this day. But you know what? Got my office cleaned out. <laughs> I got my office cleaned out. Some of that stuff had been in there since 2004. I found the, the paper that we signed to buy our trailer back in 97. <laughs> I mean, junk that should have been thrown away years ago. Drat. We got a rat. Time to take care of that. Drat. A spat. We let in a rat. Time to take care of that. Drat. We got a rat. Time to take care of that. You never know what you'll let in if you leave areas of your life open. You don't know. All kinds of things can destroy your intimacy. All kinds of things can destroy your rest. You can't allow the devil even a toehold in your life. We left the door open. In came a rat. Drat. We lit in a rat. We got to take care of that. Years ago, on one of my first trips to Barbados, West Indies, I was walking the beach with Christy and found this bottle washed up on the beach. It's uh, Limacol. I'm sure you've used it. It's a West Indian uh, refreshing thing you put on your face when you've been in the sun too long. But it's got a little hole. I don't know if you can see that. But the hole is very small. This bottle had been in the ocean and just been washing around and washing around and, and it completely filled up with sand. Completely full. In fact, it got so full 
that it, it came out the top. And then it sat in the sun for a while and just baked. And today, I didn't do this. Just the little hole let all that sand in. You don't know what you're letting in your life by little gaps, little things that just don't seem to be that big a deal. It's, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that we think, eh, it's just a little deal here. It's not that big a thing. God says, close it up. Seal it tight. Don't let things in that will destroy your life in the long run. Some of you may be sleeping with someone that you're not married to. There's no peace there. There's no rest there because it's against God. It's against his ways. It's an open door for the enemy to get at. You know what I say? Let's make it right. Get a marriage license. I'll marry you. Let's get it on the calendar. From this day forward, we're going to do some things right. Some of you have, have opened your life because of anger, and you've let the, the enemy get a toehold. He's getting a foothold. Eventually, he's going to have a stronghold. And Paul warns us. He says, look, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Deal with it. Be quick. Quick to talk. Quick to listen. Quick to forgive. Quick to make things right. Let's get this thing restored. Don't, don't let the enemy come and destroy you. Close the door. Don't let unresolved issues into your closest relationships. Go to your bedroom so you can rest, knowing that everything's right between you and God and everything's right between you and the ones you love. Stand with me, please. Inside these walls, Jesus is going to be glorified. Inside these walls, we're going to do things God's way. We're going to make things right. Inside these walls, we're going to honor, we're going to love, we're going to respect one another. The marriage bed is going to be undefiled. Inside these walls, we're going to close the doors that would let the rats in. Amen? Amen. Drat, a rat. We got to take care of that. Drat, a rat. We got to take care of that. Today, before you walk from this place, we'll give you an opportunity to take care of some things. I'm not going to ask you what your, your deal is. You know. God knows. But what I am going to ask you to do is today make a decision. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Let God change you. And then Close the door. Shut the window. Seal up those areas that are leaking in the atmosphere of the world. Bow your heads with me, please. Jesus Christ, we want you to be Lord of all. Lord over everything. And today... We just want to surrender. We want to surrender. 
In fact, if you want to surrender this morning, I want you just to raise your hands to him. You want to surrender something. For some of us, it's sin. For some of us, it's a relationship. For others of us, it's some stuff we got going on. We just want to surrender it to him. We want him to be the Lord of everything. Lord over all. Ruler, master, creator. Lord, today, we just surrender to you. Everything that we are. Come on, just talk to him for a moment. You know what's going on in your life. Would you just surrender that to him this morning? Let him do a work in you that no man can do. Let him cleanse you. Let him forgive you. Let him absolutely take those broken areas and make them better than new. Hallelujah. Awesome Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you care so much about us. You don't condemn us, but you do convict us. Today we receive of your convicting power and we say, Jesus, change us, change us, change us from the inside out. Jesus, we do love you. We love you.